0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah, <laughs> this is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined, as always, by the very undead Shelly Mazenobel.
1: Thank you. That's nice of you to notice my undeadness this morning.
0: You are like a Morticia, uh, perhaps, or uh, no. it's because you you're in her mm. Halloween rebels.
1: Right. (laughs) It's the season. It's the season for my litchiness to come out.
0: (laughs) We've got a very scary episode here for you. We really do.
1: frightening, right? Yes. I'm a little disappointed that the sun came out because earlier this morning it was gray and rainy and blustery and... Things were hitting the windows and my Halloween decorations were flying around. And I was like, this would be a great day to talk about Curse of Strahd.
0: Revamped.
1: Revamped.
0: And if you can hear it in the background here, there is all types of chanting and moaning as well as uh, summoning of demons uh, happening here in my house. So it's also kind of a perfect timing.
1: That is very perfect, and it's great because when you go upstairs for lunch, you're not going to know who's there.
0: I, it could be uh, my daughters. It could be Vistani. It could be a veggie pygmy. I don't know. It, it could, could be, be all types of things.
1: Yes, I don't know. It depends on how how good they are um, at summoning, how yeah. advanced they are in their training, and really right. just you know like who feels like coming out today.
0: And we've got a fantastic uh, fall, autumn, autumnal product uh, in
1: the Christmas Trout revamped. It's just so
0: big. Yes. Dare I say?
1: No, it is. It's yeah. the size of a toddler.
0: It's a toddler coffin size.
1: Heavy. Oh, that's that's gross. <laughs> I meant like weight wise. Like it weighs. Sure you
0: did. Sure you did. I
1: <laughs> I, I would not go there. That's. Ugh.
0: Blah, but,
1: blah, blah, blah. but
0: it is the spooky season. It is the spooky season. I'm in the full-on throes of uh, fall. I feel Me like too. there's pumpkins everywhere. There's skeletons. Uh, it is, as you said, blustery out there in yep, Seattle town. Yep.
1: You got your flannel going.
0: I got my flannel going. So am, yeah,
1: you are you are straight out of a fall catalog, Mister.
0: I am. I am certainly trying.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's almost time to take my child to the grocery store and tell him it's a pumpkin patch.
0: All I need to do is uh, lounge on a red velvet chair with a glass of red wine and casually have a tarot card in my hand that I'm tossing at you with a "come hither" type of look.
1: You are <laughs> so strotty. it's just not even funny.
0: I, I, although Straw doesn't have a beard, that's the one thing I need to I need to abandon if I'm going to go full Straw.
1: We're going to have to ask Perkins about that. Yeah, why we, not?
0: put Mr. Chris Perkins in a full Strad costume uh for a excellent live show uh during TwitchCon a couple of years ago and he looked the part fantastically I must say.
1: Yes. Well, he he does transform quite well. He's he's had a number of wonderful costumes.
0: Yeah. He uh is also very good at transforming Older adventures uh, from D&D's past into something amazing and full of character and story, uh, like he did with Curse of Strahd when it was first released mm-hmm. in 2015. Uh, we, I think we've said it before, and, and uh, we talked with him back then when we were still doing Dragon Talk back then, Shelley. Uh, wow, I've, we spoke to Tracy Hickman, uh, and Chris Perkins about their collaboration on, uh, you know, getting the inspiration kind of ready for this. But then Chris Perkins wrote a lot of it himself, of course, over the course of a winter vacation. Yes, I
1: want to uh, ask him about that.
0: So we'll talk to him about that as well as what it was like to revisit, uh, and or revamp Curse of for a uh, $99 release. That is available on October 20th of this year, 2020.
1: Yes. Coming up. My dad's birthday.
0: Yeah. He's he's gonna Is he gonna play Curse of Stroud on his birthday?
1: Oh yeah. Stroud is his favorite. So Excellent.
0: excited. You must be excited for it to be your first dungeon mastering uh foray.
1: I he's one of the few people that I have dungeon mastered for.
0: <laughs> so you have done it before. Okay. I have. Yeah, I've
1: had like three not great forays into dungeon mastering. My mom and my dad were one of them. They were probably the best of, because they were just like, I can't do anything, anything wrong in their eyes. What do they know about Dungeons and Dragons? Right. Yeah. Well,
0: that's cool. Well, maybe you'll take, uh, take them up on, uh, on doing this again uh, with your extended family in various ways uh, for this fall. It's a great way to, if you missed playing Curse of Strahd, back when it was first released uh, or if you're just uh, excited to revisit it because it does have tons of replayability um, you can use the Taroka deck mechanic to uh, basically set the objectives wherever you want in the town of Barovia the, the realm of Barovia I will say um, and so, yeah, it, no. I mean, this is true of every D and D campaign, but no two campaigns will be the same. You'll have a very different uh, experience each time you do it, and especially if you haven't played it in four years. You know, you've grown and changed over four years, and so have your friends. So, why not revisit and/or revamp it? And there's I'm, cool I'm all for it. stuff you're making, in the box. You're,
1: you're inspiring me to like think of more questions to ask him. I have so many.
0: There's so many. We are going to talk to Chris Perkins today, in fact, in case you haven't realized. Maybe
1: we should have mentioned that.
0: Yeah, we are going to talk to him all about Curse of Strahd and Revamped and uh, spooky stories in general. Uh, and it is going to be super fun. Um, and we're also going to talk to him uh, about some lore uh, in a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to make sure those of you who uh, you know have already... Pre-ordered and are getting the Curse of Strahd revamp product. There's another one that you should be excited about, which is called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything.
1: Yes, witches and vampires—we're all about it this oh, season. Oh yeah,
0: right. Yes. Peas in a pod. Totally. Liches and witches and vampires. Oh, oh my!
1: my. <laughs> that, that was
0: almost like a George Takei. Oh my! That you just. Gave oh <laughs> my! Maybe it's C three PO. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Really,
1: it's it's a it's a work in progress. It's right. something it's I'm always, just workshopping over here.
0: Always improving. Yes. Um, but that is a release that will have tons of new subclasses for players to try, magic items, spells, uh, great stuff for dungeon masters, including group patrons and. Uh, a section on how to run puzzles in yes. your game. Yes. Uh, so Tasha's College of Everything comes out November 17th. Chock full of amazing stuff. You yes. should grab it.
1: For DMs there's, and players. Everybody right. has got something to love in this book. Everybody. Two
0: great covers. Uh, alternate mm-hmm. cover you can only get through game stores. Definitely try and order that one if you are interested. Uh, and there's also a couple of other fun things, including the uh, wilderness kit, right? What's the official name of
1: that one? Uh, DM Screen Wilderness Kit.
0: DM Screen Wilderness Kit.
1: Yes. I feel like DM screens are kind of like dice, and you can't have too many.
0: You can't handle the truth.
1: You can't. But you know what's cool about this? This uh, Wilderness Kit, because the word kit is in there, which should imply that it has lots of little things in it other than just a dm screen oh it is not just a dm screen however if you are running adventures in the wilderness it is tailored for that with the information that is portrayed on the back of that dm screen for your little dungeon master eyes only it also Ooh. includes five five dry erase sheets that feature the hex map how cool is that
0: that's is really cool
1: endless 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 Possibilities, uh, food and water tracker and a rules reference for uh, wilderness cheeses, wilderness journeys, and actions that you can take in combat. And you get 27 cards because Dungeon cards. Masters like accessories, and these are things that you can use to track um, initiative, conditions, environmental effects. And you might be saying, what am I going to do with all those cards, Shelly? 27 of them, really? It comes with a box to store them. Oh, yeah. What? We thought of that. Um, screen I like deal. cards and boxes.
0: Yeah. Well, What a fun deal. For those of you who are not, you know, jumping into a gothic horror campaign or a, um, you know, uh, something that follows Icewind Dale, for example, and you just love a hex crawl and want to uh, show off that type of gameplay, with some great, uh, you know, a great accessory, it's right there. Yeah. All of it's right there,
1: and it's it's like a, just a nice gift to give to your dungeon master.
0: Yeah, like you here, know, we appreciate you. We do,
1: and we want more wilderness adventures. Exactly. So um, anyway, I think that is uh, it's it's twenty four ninety nine. So I, I think you get. I almost think we made a mistake <laughs> because um, you get a lot of content in there, and it's just it's a pretty good price point. I think.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to make sure to shout out something really cool from our friends at WizKids. Uh, You can now order directly from WizKids at dndmini.com. That's D letter N D mini.com. And there is so many amazing ways to get pre painted miniatures, uh, painted, you know, uh, unpainted ones that you can paint yourselves. Some of the great. Uh, lifestyle type things including the um, dragon heads uh, that you can have in the background as well as some of the larger uh, dragons that I've shown off before including the um, Chardolin dragon and things like that but what's really cool if you're prepping for Curse of Strahd and running uh, Curse of Strahd revamped they have two sets of seven pre-painted figures Uh, one of them is called Covens and Covenants The other is called Legends of Barovia and they are pre-painted minis of major NPCs from the adventure. And so if you are really looking to run a campaign with some uh, well-designed miniatures and painted ones uh, from that exact set, uh, you can get these. No blind boxes. You get to know exactly what you get. They're $40 uh, and you get seven uh, pre-painted figures in that and they look fantastic. So Uh, Great way to, to, uh, you know, increase your miniatures library as you're prepping to run Curse of Strahd. Um, And also, you know, uh, I I, I do want to say this. A lot of people don't have access to a friendly gaming store in their neighborhood, so they're not able to purchase these through that. That's what this website is all about, is to be able to allow you to purchase um, directly from WizKids without having to uh to travel but i do definitely want to encourage everyone if you do have access to a friendly local game store and it's safe for you to visit it definitely order these through there they are your best chance at getting uh these miniatures for sure
1: sounds good cool stuff right yes who doesn't need more minis or baby monsters as we call them in our house baby monsters baby monsters does quinn like playing with them oh he does
0: he really does. Yeah, you know what my girls have got into. I mean, this is not, uh, uh, you know, because it's still in the same Hasbro family. Transformers. My, my. I mean, they've always loved the 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 old Transformers really? that I've had uh, on display around here. But recently, uh, yeah, my daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, nine years old, has been really getting into. Uh, Transforming them and creating like little stories with them and stuff, and so really? uh, yeah, it's is she playing
1: easy. with your vintage Transformers? <laughs>
0: My vintage Transformers, and I keep and being like, al- don't force it because it might break. But you're you know,
1: you're allowing that. You're okay. They're
0: already about. broken. You know, mm-hmm. I broke them many times
1: when you were a kid.
0: When I was a kid, so yeah. I was letting it happen. And then, you know, I had a good Grimlock, the the dinosaur, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, one. I think Fiona broke that a couple of days uh, days a couple of years <laughs> ago. So. The worst has already happened. Let them play. They're playing things. Let them
1: play. Let
0: them play. Well, we got a,
1: a package delivered today, and I got all excited because I assumed it was for me. And Bart was like, it's mine. It's an action figure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we call them dolls. <laughs> oh, you got
1: a new doll? Oh. Uh, which I think it might be for Quinn, but I don't, I mean, it's not. I'm using air yeah. quilts. It's I for was
0: queen. queen. Yeah, that's yeah, these are these are for you know father father son time.
1: Which he, he will play with, he loves action figures, but for sure, go so to someone
0: else exactly. I will uh say, I definitely did start looking at the pulse.com at Transformers, uh, to see if there were some new ones that Edna might want to get into. Uh, it's definitely on our radar.
1: I feel like Transformers are kind of like STEM. Ish toys just because of the way they transform and the way you can like put them back together and you know I, I could see Edna being into the mechanics of a transformer.
0: It is so. she's definitely uh, taking it like a like a Rubik's cube a little bit where like hey look I did it all by myself you know that type of uh, thing. So you're right there is something to that. Uh, parents out there, toys are STEM.
1: They that there are in fact STEM toys. Yes. yes I feel like D and D should be. Included, right? Yeah,
0: you have to uh, read and interpret text, and then uh, and make
1: decisions based on analysis of the environment that you're in.
0: Yeah, see, so, we're like we're in
1: it. There is some like science and naturey stuff.
0: I roll high in, on my nature checks every single time.
1: I mean, if you're casting a spell, you need components. That is science: mixing your little <laughs> spell components together. <laughs> <laughs>
0: With like a porter and messel, you know, a porter and messel. No, mortar and pestle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, if you did it the other way, then it would have exploded in your face.
0: It's not just for English mages,
1: it's for STEM too. Yep.
0: Excellent. Well, I think I'm going to go talk to uh, an English major right now about uh, some lore behind Barovia. And then we will come back and talk to Mr. Perkins, the two of us, about Curse of Strahd, Revamped, and some fun stuff going on there. So let's let's do it, shall we?
1: Yes, yes. (laughs)
0: Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Hello. Today, in this segment where we like to go into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore for uh, use within your game, or just because it's really fun to know all this stuff, we are going to go through the mists into Barovia, a domain of dread, uh, and talk a little bit about its lands and how it was devised, but also uh, some stuff you'll need to know if you're going to be running Curse of Strahd Revamped, which comes out on October 20th. So, Chris, Barovia started as just one castle uh, in its creative (laughs) genesis. Is that right?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, um, the original Ravenloft predated uh, anything that was written about the idea of Domains of Dread. Domains of Dread did not exist at that time. So Ravenloft was just This land called Barovia, which was a small, um, you know, lap of land with a castle in the center and a small village at its base. That was Barovia. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't even cordoned off by mists or anything. It was just, here is a land like, you know, Transylvania or Romania or any other place you can actually visit uh, that you can just plop into your own game. The, the thing, of course, is Barovia has a very strong um, Transylvanian, Eastern European flair.
0: Yeah, taking the the Dracula and and all of those Gothic horror tales as jumping off points for inspiration.
2: Exactly, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, back then in its original form. This cordoned off domain that you could only get to, uh, you know, by traveling through the mists.
0: Was it and, even uh, placed in a? In a D and D setting, or was it very yeah. just setting agnostic?
2: It was setting agnostic, so it was meant you could just drop it into wherever, wherever it was thematically appropriate for your own campaign. So then, what was uh, the idea behind creating
0: what we now refer to as do- domains of dread? So that they kind of uh, separated. Glad you Yeah. So in the TS case.
2: in the TSR era, Ravenloft was so well received, and there seemed to be such an appetite for gothic horror both in the community and at TSR itself that. Um, uh, it was decided that Ravenloft would not just be the name of the castle, but the name of an entire campaign setting. Mm. And as you know, second edition was big into campaign settings um, and creating new ones. And Ravenloft was one of the first that kind of got away from the idea of a campaign setting as a normal world, like a normal medieval world. This was a real opportunity to redefine what a campaign setting could mean. And so, uh, out of that came this idea of Ravenloft is the is sort of the banner name we give to the campaign setting uh, that represents all of these Barovia like places um, and making each of them uh, their own standalone, standalone pieces. It's, it's kind of weird because when you think about it, Ravenloft is not a contiguous campaign. Mm. What it is, it's a collection or assemblage of a bunch of micro campaigns that are all separated from each other and unified only by the theme of horror. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't even until you got deeper into the Ravenloft line that you could sort of march from one domain to another, that there were technically borders that could be crossed. So you could go from Barovia into Lamordia or... Mordenshire or um, one of these other domains that were created. So Ravenloft was an opportunity at TSR for every designer to sort of create their own domain in a way, Um, and there was seen as like no limit to the number of domains of dread that could fall under the Ravenloft banner. The only thing you needed was some touchstone. Uh, that people could relate to, whether it was like zombie films or The Mummy or, you know, ghost pirate ship. You know, if you could could identify a touchstone that had a horror, uh, had horror at its core, you could build an entire domain around it. But of course, the classic domain of Dread, the original, is Barovia. And in second edition, it changed from being this lap of land that, isn't cut off by mists, into its own mist-shrouded realm uh, with Strahd, the vampire, trapped at the center of it.
0: That makes sense. And so when you were returning to uh, Curse of Strahd and and writing that up, you, you had the chance to be able to flesh out what that, you know, lap of land transformed into.
2: Yeah, exactly. Sort of to push the mists back and show a little bit more of the area around the castle And that had been previously done in second edition as well. There were efforts to try to uh, explain that there was more in Barovia than just the castle and the village. Uh, But when we were, uh, when the group of us who were sort of uh, tackling Cursive Straw conceptually sat down with um, Tracy and Laura to have conversations, um, it was very important that the Barovia we show felt like. A true extension of what they had originally envisioned from um, the from the i six uh, yeah from the i six yeah so it was very important that we start there and use that as our base and not try to bring in a bunch of the other stuff that may have been uh, created uh, without Tracy and Laura's oversight.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um. B- before we go on, how how big and roughly uh, square miles? Do you think Barovia is like, does it feel like, you know, the size of Texas?
2: Is it the size of Connecticut? Oh, it's, it's not that it's, it's not as big as, a, as a state. Um, I would say looking at the map that it's about, oh, bless you. Like it's probably about maybe 30 miles across.
0: Okay. So, you know, the, the the like a metropolitan area, like around yeah. around one major major city with a few villages uh, around it.
2: Yeah, but if he, he, as you can imagine, um 30 miles is a considerable distance when people are basically accustomed to moving around just on foot. Yes. or on horseback. You know, it's it's, you know, uh, in that in the day and age, in medieval times, if you, if you moved more than 30 miles away from your homestead, you were considered an explorer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: right? I always think of that, uh, that quote from Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. where like, if I take one more step, I'm further away from home than I've ever been.
2: And, uh, right. Yes. That would happen
0: like this very often.
2: And so you can do a lot in, in 30 miles of space. Uh, and, and drop a lot of interesting sites there. And so, I mean, the key with Curse of Strahd is you, even with the new, the expanded page count, there's still a finite amount of space. Uh, and so some decisions had to be made about, okay, how many locations can we do? What should those locations be? How complex are each of those locations and which ones can we fit and which ones do we have to leave behind?
0: Yeah, so uh, you winnow down that list, but then what are what are some of the highlights there that people should
2: be aware of? So it was important that, or we, we felt at the time, it was important that we have more than one village or settlement in order for it to feel like a province or something something that felt provincial. Yeah. That there would be a, a couple settlements that the characters could move between, and then thematically we could set, we could make those settlements very distinct from each other by giving them uh, problems that felt very unique and had a certain flavor of horror to them, so that the village of Barovia feels very different from the town of uh, Valaki, which feels very different from the village of Kresk, which is sort of further, deeper back in the mountains. Um, and then we added, we threw in a ruined town, essentially a town that did not survive Strahd's depredations, and uh, it's just a, sort of this haunted ruin of a town called Berez. And those four sort of um, survived, and then everything else is uh, more like an adventure location, like the old windmill on the on the windswept crag, or the the spooky crumbling bridge that spans the icy chasm in the mountains, or the vineyard uh, where um, the the Wizards of Wine winery is. Um, which was important uh, because we were talking about, you know, how do, how do Barovians survive or get by, you know? Um, how do they cope with the day-to-day mystery of being sort of trapped in this domain? And It's
0: not too different from being trapped in our domain of dread that we're in right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's like, okay, what, what, am, I going to, what am I going to lean on in these hard times? And it's like, well, with Barovians, it, it might very well be wine. Um, that, that wine is a coping mechanism that helps them uh, endure. And so that became an important element of the landscape.
0: Now, were these towns there before Strahd's influence or and the people within them? Or were they, once this became a uh, a place that you can only visit by, by traveling through the mists, um, were they grown from there?
2: Okay. So the, the, the idea is is that um, when Strahd first came to this domain because he basically conquered it mm. um, he before he became a vampire he was uh, basically a warlord and was going through and eradicating his enemies and then he came to this land and was so sort of struck by its beauty and its seclusion that he said, you know this is where I'm going to build my castle and we presume that these settlements, uh, maybe not the village of Barovia, because that probably grew up around the the castle to an extent, but the other settlements probably existed, and he just took them over. Um, but they they would have transformed quite a bit in the in the in the conquest, uh, because one of the things Strahd was very fond of doing was not only conquering a people but forcibly relocating them. Mm. So he'd he would move people that he had previously conquered into places that he had newly conquered in order to sort of well and truly establish now that these places were his and that he could do what he wanted with them. And so I think you would have seen a lot of people flee these towns and then a lot of people take them over. And But most of the people, I suspect, who, who grew to live in Barovia under Strahd's rule probably came with him or came after him and settled there but the structures that they were inhabiting, some of them would have pre-existed the invasion. Got it. Um,
0: now, are people in Barovia people, or are they they trapped souls? Are they, you know... How, how should a Dungeon Master approach this when... Uh, trying? That and- is a very good
2: question, because this is not something that Tracy and Laura had to wrestle with in the original, because Barovia was just a land. Yeah. It wasn't separated. They were just people. But when... Uh, with the idea that this is a domain of dread and it's cut off from the rest of the world, you know, there's a finite number of people there. Eventually, that's going to sort of—it's just going to dwindle down to nothing, um, unless they're very, unless they're uh, very precocious sexually, um, which they probably wouldn't be under the circumstances. <laughs> but well, there is so the wine. Have, we, Maybe the wine helps. Yeah, there. there is the wine would help. The wine <laughs> would certainly help. Um, but the, uh, what we decided on what we thought would be creepy is that uh, because in Dracula, the, the Bram Stoker novel, there is this recurring theme of resurrection that people get basically reborn into new bodies, but they're kind of the same people. Yeah. Um, uh, Like, like a Dracula's wife. And then, um, you know, the woman he pursues, he sees his wife in her basically. Um, uh, that, that because resurrection and rebirth are, are sort of part of the Dracula motif that we would incorporate in the story by saying that souls. So when a Barovian, when a Barovian dies and their soul takes flight to go through the afterlife, it doesn't get through the mists. It gets, it gets sort of steered back and sort of, uh, like, uh, snared and funneled back into a new birth. So, when a when a child is born in Barovia, it actually contains an old soul mm. that is just constantly being recycled over and over and over and over again. And then we also presumed that not everybody in Barovia actually has a soul. That oh. some of the people in Barovia are merely shells, uh, projections created by the domain of Dread to create the illusion of a living, breathing society or ecosystem. And so there are some people who, when they die, they just don't come back. And that, that helped us in a number of ways because um, we, we can have imagery in the adventure of, you know, here is Tatiana, Strahd's true love. Here is Irina Kolyana, who looks just like her it's the same soul recycling through new bodies. But then there are other characters that just die and disappear and never return. Um, and we just say, oh, those are the shells. Those are the, those are the fake people, the people who don't know that they're not really people. Um, That's almost and, like
0: creepier, uh, thinking of Barovia as this uh, snow globe trap uh, yes. that souls can sometimes get out of, maybe, but mostly... Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, are, are, are and then visually, um, live there. one of one of the things that was important too was that we sh- when we show Barovians who don't have souls, their faces look lifeless. That there's no spark in their eyes. They've just sort of got these dead expressions. And so, if you meet a Barovian, you may not be able to tell if they have a soul right away. But there's something, there's something there that betrays the fact that they're not truly that they're they're truly just sort of soulless husks. Mm-hmm parading through the daily routine without any love, passion, or desire really to do anything.
0: Ugh, I don't know what's more horrific.
2: Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not knowing, I think, is part of it. Um, yeah. You know. And it's
0: really interesting to set this up as a dungeon master that that the the player characters are outsiders, that they're coming into this... With yes. no knowledge necessarily of what's, uh, you know, what we're just talking about here, but they'll discover it along the way and how those creepy things manifest themselves.
2: Precisely. There's also the potential for a very bittersweet moment at the end, where if you destroy Strahd and you free Barovia from the mists, that a bunch of people just fade away.
0: Uh, in in like a you know Avengers in the, Infinity uh, War kind it's sort of, of like way.
2: A van, yeah, they just sort of ashes blow away. Like, oh my God, those people we were trying to help weren't actually real i love that yeah uh, did you do a good thing just then or not <laughs> right yeah like it's it it. you can't tell you know their life wasn't happy but at least they had life yeah now they just cease to exist
0: wow all right well all of the fun moral quandaries uh as well <laughs> as horror themes that uh you just brought to light in a way for for people who are going to be picking up curse of Strahd, revamped hopefully playing it Around this Halloween time, uh, thank you, thank you for all that. I, I, I feel creeped out, but also uh, excited to run something. So
2: that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: no. uh, all right. Well, I'm gonna go get some of my wizards of wine, uh, br- uh, you know, juice, <laughs> and uh, get into reading. <laughs> Curse of Strahd. Uh, thanks, Chris, for for coming through. If people have any questions for how to potentially run this campaign uh, or just want to show you some cool art they made what's the best way that they can do so
2: i am on twitter at chris perkins dnd excellent all right well thanks again chris
0: and uh, we'll be back with some more fun stuff next week chris perkins
1: i feel Not like a phantom
0: I could speak to him and get so much amazing information uh, and just like pull it out like little dream wisps from his brain.
1: Nice. I thought you were going to go grosser than that. So I like the dream wisps.
0: Yeah, let's let's go with dream wisps.
1: wisps. Uh, and you know what's seven. great about this episode? Double Perkins?
0: We get double Perkins. That's Yay! right.
1: Yeah, It sounds like a wrestling maneuver. <laughs> it's like I a full double awesome. Perkins. Yep.
0: And a double Perkins and off the top rope.
1: Can't oh, I know. wait. Let's do this.
0: Let's talk to him. Um... Welcome Chris Perkins back to Dragon Talk. Hi, Chris.
1: Hello. Yay.
0: I feel like it's been, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks since we last chatted. It has indeed. Weird. Yes.
1: You just keep putting out so many great products. We just have to keep having you back on. Ooh.
0: And then when they're out for a little while, then we put them out again. <laughs> Sometimes
1: <laughs> we know that's your strategy just to keep getting invited back to Dragon oh,
2: Talk. Yeah, right. I give myself all this extra work just so I can get invited. Oh,
1: maybe now the. Onto your show. Back.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Uh, seconds before we started recording, you said that you look pale. I say maybe vampire
2: y? Vampiric? Vampire <laughs>
1: <laughs> I say vampire. Okay. <laughs> you, tomato tomato. But yes. Uh Vampirish. maybe Yeah. Yeah. The nice
0: straw. Nice, like. of nice Seattle tan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It reminds me of when uh and I mentioned this in the intro that you uh dressed up as Mr. Count, not Mister Count, <laughs> Mister Count,
2: Mister Mr. Count, Mister Count, Mister Mister Z Mister 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 Yeah. Mister Z? Mister <laughs> That was, that, that, that was a million years ago. That was at a TwitchCon, like yes. what, three years ago. It was, yeah, right. Full Four costumes years, for
0: everyone, uh, and you, I uh, think, had uh, the most intricate costume out of everyone. Uh, looking not not like the cursive straw that's on the cover, uh, not the cursive straw, not like the, the straw that's on the cover, but a straw that's uh, in an interior illustration.
2: Yes, yes. All, although the costume uh, grossly overestimated my waistline, so the pants kept falling down. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about that? Like when I was having the costume fitting. Is this gonna was... be
1: like another you in a robot costume? I <laughs> 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 okay, unable to get up off the
2: sidewalk. Oh. So it kind of. So I'm, I'm, I'm in my full strud makeup and hair and all the bit. I'm heading out to the stage, and to get there, you had to walk through the kitchen of the convention center i don't know if if you were there shelly or not no i wasn't yeah to get from the dressing rooms you had to walk literally through the kitchen and um my pants fell down right in the middle of the kitchen with all the kitchen staff um preparing (laughs) ah just staring at me with my pants down
1: oh my
0: god looking like a vampire with a sword with my seattle pan yeah exactly
2: (laughs) And uh, so I just basically had to shuffle back to the dressing room with my pants around my ankles. Uh, and you didn't then pull them up? And have them basically safety pinned
1: oh my God. Uh, in
2: place that you know is what? amazing
1: when i play curse of Strahd now i'm gonna when i encounter Strahd, i'm going to think about them and be like i bet he has safety pins in his pants and he's not that scary anymore
2: <laughs>
1: I, love, I just love that your pants fell down in the kitchen and yeah. everybody's and,
2: like, and they just like dropped they didn't like just inch down they <laughs> went poof right to the floor like
1: like clown pants oh, yes oh yeah. my god
0: yeah. Man. Wow. Now, I hope this leads to people who are going to play Curse of Strahd revamped, and uh, their goal will be to pants Strahd uh, yes. at some point.
2: Curse of Strahd
0: repants. <laughs> 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 we don't want to kill him. We'll or, see you in two
2: years. You know, to talk liberate
0: about that, Barovia yes. from the hands of a dread vampire lord. <laughs> no, we He's just want to embarrass him. Yes. Extra points if you can do it in the kitchen. Yes, that's how you shame Strahd, you pants him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, isn't it all about like he's, you know, he's having dinner and you're invited. So now yeah. I really just picture him like going to his kitchen staff and just screaming at them and his pants
2: fall down around his ankles Yeah. yeah. and everyone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and
2: then he kills them all. Right, or every time you encounter him, he's just not wearing pants. Like, he's sitting at the dining room table, but he's not wearing his pants. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, think He's it. He's, he's, he's
2: playing the organ, not wearing pants.
1: That changes the whole cover image here that I'm looking well, at.
2: Well, yeah, then it starts getting very Sharon Stone at that point.
1: It's like, if he's not wearing pants. <laughs> 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 I think, like, look closely at his face. He looks like he's saying, mm-hmm. Ouch. The safety pin is just game undone. <laughs> <laughs> and he's poking me in the butt cheek. <laughs> very so. Un-gratified. I think we, we've just done yeah. a really great job of making Strad a, a very serious villain, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By pantsing him and talking about his pants being safety <laughs> pinned. <laughs> He had to go to his mom. And
0: we say that, of course, because he's, he's obviously one of the most terrifying villains Clearly. that, uh, you know, that's why this is all so very funny. And one of the reasons why I think, Chris, you added so much humor into this adventure was that if you're just going to be terrifying vampire uh, and all of this dread and awfulness in a Barovia going on, uh, it can get very one note and very samey. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I remember having a conversation with uh, Tracy about that um, because there was humor in the original Ravenloft adventure, but most of it was saved for the the catacombs at the end of Ravenloft. And I was curious about whether that was by design or whether Ra- Tracy and Laura just got to the end of the adventure and were so tired they started to get really silly. Um, but it was deliberate. It was an attempt to diffuse the horror. Um, and uh, in order to build horror, of course, you have to have these sort of highs and lows of... Emotion—you have to put people off their guard, and one way you can do that is through humor, and then, of course, build up the horror again. Um, and so, it was a very deliberate attempt in Curse of Strahd to seed more bits of horror or more bits of humor through the adventure at certain points in times um, to right. keep it from becoming monotonous. Right.
1: So, urban legend says that. Over a Christmas break of about two weeks or so, while most of us were off eating sugar cookies and drinking wine and watching Bravo television, um, you went off and wrote this adventure.
2: I went off and wrote the first draft. Yeah. And it took about three weeks. uh, And that was including uh, retyping out the original Ravenloft adventure. What? um, Because we didn't have digital files.
1: You retyped the original adventure?
2: Yeah. Yeah because the original adventure is basically contained within Curse of Strahd. Um, so that was all done over that period of time.
1: So what what was it? I mean, three weeks seems quick for a first draft,
2: yes? It is, un, unnaturally so. But I felt at the time I was so, um, I don't want to use the word obsessed because that's a little too heavy, but I was deeply, deeply invested in proving that um, we could do something really interesting with that old adventure and kind of build around it and release a product that um, kind of uh, took the story as its framework and then expanded it in interesting directions to make Strahd even more fearsome, to create more of a a full campaign feel.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I do remember hearing like, or maybe you had even told me that you were just like had very focused very inspired by this or
2: it was yeah ravenloft has always been the original ravenloft which came out in 1983 was always one of my favorite adventures because stragg was such a rich villain and because the setting was so lush and uh vibrant and well detailed and the castle was just amazing um that uh it was it was always on my radar uh, with fifth edition when I was working on the monster manual and writing the vampire entry and making sure there was an image of Strahd's castle in the monster manual, it was always my intention to try to do something interesting with Raven locked forward. I had also worked with Tracy once before on a Dragonlance project and was really, really eager to be able to work with him again um, in some capacity. So I was committed.
0: we spoke to uh, you and Tracy and uh, I believe Laura actually joined the conversation too. Uh, an early episode of Dragon Talk back in 2015 uh, about your meeting. Uh, and it was really fascinating. If you guys, you know, obviously long listeners will remember that, but definitely go back and, and revisit that interview if you're interested. But one of the things that struck me out was that, uh, struck out to me during that conversation was that this adventure was a departure from the adventure writing that came before it. And many people kind of say like, oh, this adventure was a jumping point Uh, jumping off point for all adventures that had been written in Dungeons & Dragons going forward. Can you talk a little bit about about why that was so in your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so prior to the release of Ravenloft in the 80s, um, adventures in D&D were largely dungeon crawls. Uh, And that was how people assumed kind of D&D adventures should be designed, that essentially you have, uh, you know, the characters have a, a threadbare plot that gets them to this big place that they have to explore and they just sort of go room through room for room plowing through it getting treasure and then bailing um, and what what sort of uh, intrigued tracy and laura was the idea of having a more multifaceted story kind of drive the action and have the have the villain be the thing around which the story orbits instead of just a dungeon um, part of it stems from the fact that a, a Tracy felt that previously vampires were just treated like any other dungeon monster. You know, you find a tomb, there's a vampire, you kill it, you take its stuff, you move on. Uh, There's there's no real dimension to the vampire. And uh, because the vampire embodies so many, it's sort of like an amalgamation of so many myths and touchstones and latent fears and uh, superstitions uh, in all sorts of societies uh, throughout the world, uh, Tracy and Laura felt that they could really mine the vampire myth and really sort of dig, sink their teeth into it, as it were, uh-huh. and, and give the vampire the, the justice it deserved, an entire adventure of its own. And out of that, Ravenloft arose, um, and Castle Ravenloft, uh, the big this sort of massive edifice that many people have died in now, um, also kind of arose out of that. It was uncharted ground.
0: Yeah, and speaking of charts, the, the map of Castle Ravenloft was isometric and it had three floors on it, which I think was also a first for a Dungeons & Dragons adventure. We had never right.
2: seen a map rendered that way uh, of a location in a D&D adventure before where it was this uh, 3D perspective and you could see all the levels and how they connected to one another um, at a glance. I mean, it made, it made you know, redrawing maps as a Dungeon Master very challenging, but it was instantly immersive you got the location. you got its sense of scale and scope and just how fantastic this place is. Um, It it begged exploration.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people latched onto that uh, image as well as the image of the vampire, uh, that
2: is. Exactly. Did you know in the original Ravenloft there were no bathrooms?
1: Just like the House on the Hill in Betrayal at House on the Hill. Right?
2: Yeah. Probably Um, the
1: same builder, I would imagine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that that <laughs> that choice. very well could be. Um, <laughs> and uh one of the things that uh talked to Tracy about because um I'm you know I've always been interested in architecture. If I hadn't been a game designer, I probably would have been an architect. I could but, see that. Um, or a or a political speech writer, one of those two things. I could see that but, very similar. Uh, one of the other things that was not lost on me and it was a conscious thing about uh the design of castle ravenloft is once you get inside it it starts to almost make no sense that you uh the way staircases connect to levels and the way things are laid out is specifically designed to disorient (gasps) creatures inside of it so they lose track spatially of where they are in the castle
1: oh that's so cool
2: isn't that cool Mm -hmm. yeah it was all deliberate. And so people often wonder who built this place and why did they build it like this? This makes no sense. You have to go up, then down, then across, then up again, even higher, and then back down to get to this place that's right above this other place. It's like, yes, it's, it's by design. It's there to torture the people who, who are, you know, wandering around inside of it. If you're a vampire, you're a bat. You don't care. You can fly from one window to the next and get around.
1: As as the crow flies or the bat in this case is, um, is it a conscious choice to not have a bathroom? Because that that can really mess with people.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, one assumes that when this castle was built, I think chair, chamber pots were probably in vogue. Mm. Oh, in vogue. You just throw your chamber pot, you know, off the off the balcony or the, the wall and call it good. You know, <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or a servant does. You know, you don't have... <laughs> well, you know, Castle Ravenloft is surrounded by big towering walls, so you could walk out onto the battlements of a wall and throw it off a cliff, basically. Um so I assume that's how they handled it back in the day. But, of course, now, Strahd being a vampire doesn't need to poo. So he doesn't care that there's no <laughs> bathrooms.
1: But um, he has guests all the time. He's having well, they dinner. Well, don't, they don't leave.
2: He has guests, but they never leave. <laughs> and and it's not their comfort he's concerned with.
1: No, definitely not.
2: They're there just, you know, to be fed upon or locked in tombs and used to feed his brides. No, I've got Hotel California playing. I app.
1: have. I went there, too.
0: <laughs> it's a good soundtrack for when you're running Ravenloft. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, uh, really great release in 2015. It's hard to go back that far, but it was the first... Actually, I think it came out in
2: 2016. Did it? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, man,
0: now I'm really messing up. But it was saying. the
2: first half of the year, um, because in 2016, we released two stories, this one and Storm King's Thunder. Yeah, this one, Curse of Strahd originally released in March 2016. 2016,
0: 2016. excellent. Uh, so, uh, what was the... Uh, impetus to kind of go back and you know, kind of kind of try to create this deluxe box. What, what, what kind of cool stuff uh, were you excited to kind of see put into the Curse this of the Deluxe rebel?
2: box, yes. <laughs> the coffin-shaped yeah. box. I wouldn't have done it if we didn't get the coffin-shaped box. By the way, the smart. I think I putting. Said, in, yeah, out.
1: you really I'm needed.
2: Out. Yeah, in fact, I think it was the coffin-shaped box that kind of sold initially. People just on the concept of. Taking an adventure and repackaging it.
1: I do remember talking about this coffin shaped box, which seems like years ago.
2: Yes. It wasn't. I mean, it, it in fact was open. probably at least two years ago. Yeah, it
1: actually probably was two years ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's when the conversation would have started. Yeah. Uh, so, what prompted us to do it? Well, I always felt that with Curse of Strahd, like with Ravenloft, cards, the cards, the Taraka deck, mm-hmm. um, you mean- was. Yes, those. (laughs) So beautiful. Those cards are such an intrinsic part of the adventure experience that they were really always meant to be together. Because for those who don't know, you use the Taraka deck to randomly determine where certain things are in the adventure. Where Strahd is, uh, where where basically where you have your final showdown with him, where you can find... um, a treasure that can be used to defeat Strahd, all that kind of stuff. Um, So, so, sorry,
1: is it the Dungeon Master who is the one who's using the deck? Yes.
2: Okay. But it's done out in the open. Okay. So the Dungeon Master lays out cards randomly in the open, and that determines things that the players can then use to, to deal with Strahd. But um, when we released Curse of Strahd as a book, of course, we couldn't sell the cards along with it. So we partnered with Gale Force 9 to release the deck and you could Mm -hmm. then buy them separately and use them together. But I felt that the ideal package would be to be able to put the cards and the adventure into one place. So you get both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then um, once we committed to the idea of actually doing that, then the question becomes, what else do we put in the box to create a fun experience for the DM?
1: And what else did you put in the box? I know we've kind of talked about it, Greg and I, but... Let's
2: yeah, we've uh, yeah. Um, people who have seen the IGN unboxing video have probably seen uh, the components. But uh, I think the next thing we talked about was uh, breaking up the adventure into smaller pieces. Yes. Right. So, for instance, putting the monsters in a separate book, that way the DM can keep the adventure open and then look at the monsters
1: mm-hmm.
2: without having to flip back and forth in the same book.
1: Yeah, that's And so really that was nice. a
2: better experience. And then, of course, we wanted the poster map to be in there, uh, Barovia and the castle as a separate piece. Uh, we wanted the handouts that appeared in the back of the book originally to be separate things that the DM can just hand out. So basically, loose leaf sheets of paper, and then conversations started to go around. Well, apart from just breaking up the adventure and its components into separate elements, what other fun things can we put in? There, we had a long list, like about fifty or sixty different things. Some of which had to be thrown out simply from a production point of view. What were some others of those? from a Others from so from a production point of view, um, one of the ideas was a straw puppet. Um, but, uh, in order to produce it, it would have been problematic. And then there are all kinds of, um, uh, protocols surrounding things like cloth types yeah. and yes. safety and things like that. Like you can't have things with, um, pins or staples or anything in them, uh, anything like that. So right. that became, uh, we also talked about, let's put us a wooden stake in there. Well, no, because that could actually be used to stab someone, <laughs> uh, we talked about, uh, you know, putting in uh, wax seals, uh, you know, with the Ravenloft stamp on it, but there are issues surrounding rubber and what kinds of rubber we can use. And, you know, uh, you know fashioning anything out of wood is tricky. Right. Um, so we talked about a bunch of stuff like that and then settled on a few actually useful gimmicks, things that we know players, uh, DMs might use, the postcards being one of them. Um, So we came up with this idea of putting in a set of 12 postcards with different art that the DM could basically send out to players like invitations to Mm -hmm. the game. Um, And then we tried to figure out, well, what art will we put on it? What style of art? Well, we wanted kind of a poster card style artist to do that work. And then when we realized uh, uh, that that art could work just as well on the outside of a DM screen, that's when we decided to throw a DM screen in too. Oh, Um,
1: oh, cool. And
2: and have a DM screen that on the outside has the same art as the poster cards, as the poster um, cards, postcards. And then on the inside, have stuff tailored for the adventure. So the DM can have easy access to information that would otherwise be hard to find in the book.
1: I like that um, as a non-Dungeon Master. But if I were a Dungeon Master, I would appreciate having... The DM screen that is tailor made for the adventure that I'm running. So that's a that's a good call. But I also like as a player to be able to see art that represents the location that I'm in.
2: Yeah, and the the art has a very distinctive style, which I really like. I'm I'm very very happy um, with. So the art the artists who did it they go they they're known collectively as couple of cooks. O k s. Oh. Perfect. So a couple for of kooks right. did the art, which makes sense for this adventure.
1: And the slogans are really fun too.
2: Yeah, I came up with those. Of course, you, you did. You yeah. wrote those. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: See, that could—if you weren't a game designer, you could also be a, a travel. Uh, you could work for a, a chamber of commerce <laughs> and, and write travel brochures. <laughs>
2: Many, many many times. Dark because you know they'd be going through the mail, so we don't want to spook our mailmen. No, no, definitely not. (laughs) Yeah.
1: He'd be like, What is this place? This sounds amazing. I'm going to call my wife right now. Is this this
2: old bone grinder a real place? Like, can I actually (laughs) go here? I'm excited. It's a
0: tourist attraction, clearly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're really cool
0: that's awesome yeah and I think uh, there is something to creating this like atmosphere right that's kind of important for well I guess for all D&D adventures but specifically about this one because you are doing a different specific flavor of Dungeons and Dragons when you play Curse of Strahd and so having these little uh, artifacts and pieces of art and DM screens that transport you into uh, that kind of mindset I think really help bring the, the story to life
2: yeah I agree. Yeah, and then the one other thing, um, the, the one other component is there is a surprise that when you first open the box, the first component you see is a bit of a surprise. I won't talk about it anymore.
1: Wasn't expecting to see you here. Yeah. Um. Uh, so the, the first of all, I call it Taroka deck, but I heard you say it
2: differently. That's correct. Okay. Um, taroka. Taroka tomato tomato it's called the whole vampirey
1: vampiric whatever yeah. <laughs> um so these are you have to use these in the adventure
2: well you can swap them out for a normal deck of cards but yeah you'll need a deck okay. of cards of some kind
1: so i've been playing with them can i can i give you a reading sure <laughs> okay. um we can't cool. uh, normally cool. i would have you cut the deck but honestly, do i need to
2: translate or what I, are you have just, my, I, I have my I have my you just, book oh you're gonna wing it good all right I got my
1: it. my Taroka deck book right here oh sweet okay. okay give me a number one through five or okay you got the seer card oh okay okay um, hang on I don't know them by heart but <laughs> um I actually um, I like this game yeah okay. it's gonna be fun inspiration and keen intellect. We were just talking about how inspired you were to write this. And obviously, we know you're very, very smart. Yes. A future event, the outcome of which will hinge on a clever mind. (gasps) And you were telling us before we started recording what you're working
2: on. I know. It
1: came true. It's true. (laughs)
2: Spooky.
1: (laughs) Shelly, are you The cards
2: know all.
1: I have been practicing.
2: The cards know all.
1: They do. They do. So... Splendid. Uh, you can find me on Elkai Beach this summer <laughs> doing some readings.
0: Only from my Taroka card deck.
1: I take Venmo and... <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I love yes. the artwork uh, that accompanied the
2: each of the cards for the Taroka deck. Chuck Lukash uh, did a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah, Chuck. We almost, we almost broke Chuck with the Taroka deck because coming up with... 54, you know, iconic snapshots of things. Um, once you get to like 48, 49, you're just probably ready to be done. And I know that at the, the last few, Chuck was just like grinding. Um, there was no rubber left.
0: What, um, uh, what was that process like? Were you, you wrote the art descriptions for each one of those? Uh,
2: so it was, it was even simpler than that. Um, we, we gave Chuck the old deck mm. because there wasn't a, was a second edition to Rocket Deck that had some different imagery, um, just so we'd have that. Then we gave him sort of uh, like a, like one liners, and then he just worked off of that. So then and then and then some ground rules, like for instance, when you're dealing with the cards in the various suits, you have to make sure that there's the right number of swords. In the illustration, like the Seven of Swords has seven swords in it.
1: Oh uh, yeah, they can be
2: worked in in different ways, but they all have to be there. So the trick for us when we got the art back was just actually counting to make sure that there were the right number of everything, the right number of glyphs, the right number of swords. You know, blah 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 blah.
0: It's um, like every time I see a Beholder now, I have to be like, one, two, three, count the, the number of eye stalks. Yeah.
2: Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, uh, so and the uh, Raven is still uh, the my raven. favorite i love the sword. raven yes
1: just, it's just so evocative just
0: agreed agreed we yes. used that as a cover for dragon plus if i remember yeah. correctly back we did
2: in, it, we did a different version of it for the cover actually it had the, had the ampersand null, yeah. Yeah.
0: it's in its mouth I you believe. got it yeah yeah, yeah these
1: yeah. are these are beautiful
0: yeah so having those like oversized Taroka deck cards is a selling point in this but anyway but they're also
2: foil stamped aren't they Exactly. Yes. I don't know if you
1: can see it well. It's hard.
2: It's hard to see the foil on on camera, but it's there. That's so gorgeous. And the cards. The cards are bigger too. We enlarged them for this. Um, For the
1: over forty players.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, just so that they also just look more impressive when you lay them down for the card reading. They really Um, do. Yeah. So they're they're bigger than the, the versions that we released previously. So, so, as cool. I was saying with uh, with Shelley in our intro for this
0: uh, it's we 're in the throes of fall right now. I mean there's skeletons everywhere in uh, West Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh lots yeah. of spiders already making their spider webs without even the fake spider webs going out I there. That's true. I have
2: I have a spider who's nestled in my portico. He's been there for or she's been there for three weeks now. Yeah. Yeah. And it says uh splendid on the <laughs> <end>. <laughs> That's, <Yeah>. some <laughs> That's
0: some
1: pig. Some <laughs> pig <laughs> We own a pig, spider. <laughs> <laughs> so rude, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people like to pull, roll out uh, Curse of Strahd or at least do a one-shot uh, around yeah. it. What, uh, what kind of advice would you give for people who uh, are excited to get Curse of Strahd revamped and, and delve into it during this
2: very Halloween-y period of time? Be be careful with candles. Um, get candles that you can't accidentally knock over easily. Because <laughs> in the throws of in the throes of a DD game, people get excited and yeah. arms start failing. Yeah. If you've got mood candles lighting things up, you don't want to knock those flying and have wax all over your keyboard. Well, something.
1: that that could be how you get your wax stamp if you really want yeah. that. Yes.
2: Right? Yeah. Make
1: it make your own.
2: Yes. And I mean, that's with 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 Halloween approaching, uh, this is obviously a great adventure to play, but it's always, it's always wise to remember that, you know, in a spooky adventure, you know, make sure the players are having fun, um, that, that nobody's getting so spooked out that, you
1: know. So on a scale of one to 10, one, I don't know, being like, a, a, a real housewives, um, episode and 10 being like poltergeist. Or like mm-hmm. to me, that was the scariest movie ever. How scary do you think this is?
2: Oh, this? Yeah. Um, so I think it, it largely depends on how, how moody the DM makes it. Okay. Um, if you, you can, you can sort of desaturate the horror a bit uh, and just kind of run things or, or try to, or emphasize uh, things a little in a way that's a little bit differently, and there are funny, quirky, lots of funny, quirky characters who you can either play as kind of dark and sinister, or more uh, sort of weird and and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Adam's family esque. Yeah, exactly. Oh,
1: okay, quirky like cousin cousin it and
2: yeah yeah You could easily do an Adam's family vibe to a cursive of game okay. if you wanted to. Um, where the camp is always kind of surfacing. Wow, what was that? (laughs) Do you have a monster in your room,
0: Shelley?
1: It's Puppy. It's Puppy. I'm going to open the door and let him out, because I was telling Greg before he... He's having some digestive issues oh,
2: today. Yeah, he's giving Please. the sign.
0: Yeah, he's like, "There's some things happening that uh, it's like foreshadowing of horror, right? You want to be able to make, let people know that there's exactly signs now going. one
2: of my one of the things that I've done at conventions and things is run Curse of Strahd, where the character, where the characters, uh, the the game begins with the characters waking up in Strahd's study and they haven't got anything on except like their sleeping garments." And all their Been gear there. is gone. And it's all about just getting out of the castle alive. I think that's another another thing you can do with this adventure is just sort of start the characters in a precarious spot and just see how they do in the next three hours. You know, can they get out of the castle in one piece without their swords, without their spell books, without their, you know.
1: I'm going to go with no.
2: They, they get to improvise, you know? <laughs> they, you know. Suddenly they're walking around like Scooby-Doo characters with like candlesticks in their Right, hands. right. Zarynx. you know yeah that's a fun
0: way to do it as a one shot you know, if people don't want to uh invest in doing an entire campaign because there is a lot of mm. content here like that's one thing that's yeah. uh, <laughs> important to note uh from the sixteen pages that was in i six uh the Ravenloft adventure you've expanded it to uh how many pages is this is now i'm I'm calling myself
2: out is that two fifty six I think so, yeah. <laughs> Don't mind my dog Milo. He, he's he's oh, We love
1: Milo. He's,
2: he's growling at the garbage truck. <laughs> garbage oh, truck.
1: Our garbage day today, too.
2: Yeah. How dare they?
1: Neighborhood. <laughs> well, they're <laughs> taking your stuff, basically. So yeah, yeah.
0: He doesn't wow. like that. <laughs> he's like, that's my food. That's what I eat. <laughs> I eat that stuff.
2: <laughs> it's, it's my crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a lot to explore, right? Barovia is is not just uh, Castle Ravenloft. Uh, there is a yeah. lot of, of things and lots of stories and plots that you can right. or
2: cannot interact with, depending on how you go. Right? And it also depends on how what the card draw is. Like, if the random card draws point you in certain locations, that means you avoid other locations that you might not get to play the first time around.
1: Ooh, replayability.
2: Replayability is a huge part of both adventures, the original and the cursive strong. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: being able to, uh, you know, do this four years later after you might have run it in 2016, yeah, uh, it's yeah. a it's a great way to revisit it. And you'll probably have, I mean, like you would with any D&D campaign, it's
2: completely, I said this in the intro, but,
0: you know, it's 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 really fun yeah. to kind of go down there, that road again and see what different notes hit.
2: Oh, absolutely. And that's part of the reason why like even Tracy Hickman runs it as an annual event for his family and friends is because every time you run the adventure, you get kind of a different outcome. Or you can play Stroud a little differently, you know, um, the circumstances, the reasons, the place where you encounter Strahd and sort of the reasons why he's behaving the way he is and all that can kind of change time after time. I remember Tracy describing to us uh, one of his experiences running the adventure where the characters finally confronted Strahd in his parents' tomb and he was just sort of, he had thrown himself bodily and like on his mother's coffin and was just weeping for oh. her. and how sympathetic Strahd was in that moment. Yes. Um and how that lulled the characters into a false sense of security. <laughs> good tactic.
1: It worked on me. I was
2: like, oh, oh let hand strad. you a tissue. <laughs> you poor boy. Take all like, my no, blood. He's just, he's just bad. He's, he's, he's horrible.
1: But he's he is kind of charming, too.
2: Well, that's the thing about vampires, is they can turn on the charm when they have to, but it's all part of the game, right?
1: Yeah. I. This is, I am I would not fare well in Barovia.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it, do you find it a challenging uh, villain or adventure to run because of that? Like, because you have to be manipulative in a way?
2: Uh, it, yeah, it can be. It can also be, I know it can be frustrating for the characters when Strahd uses his full bag of tricks and escapes over and over and over again. It's like, can't we just nail this guy down? Um, he's always taken off in back form or gaseous form or wolf form or whatever and leaving us high and dry. Oh, but the paladin's just been bit on the neck. That's great. Um so uh there can be both elements of not only terror but also frustration when dealing with a vampire. And you kind of have to buy you kind of have to buy into that, I think, as a player is like, okay, he's he's our arch nemesis in this adventure. Obviously, he's going to be a hard guy to pin down, and obviously we're going to find ourselves at our wits' end um dealing with him if he's being played right. I think uh, the least satisfying Curse of Strahd story is, you know, Strahd knocks on your door at the, you know, in the ta- in the tavern <laughs> or whatever, at the, the 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 village, and you just kill him on the spot. That would be sort of anticlimactic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, I guess we don't need to go to that big castle after
0: all.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> came to us. He delivered the adventure to us. Yes,
2: yes, yes. Well, that is, was easy.
1: Is it fair? I always feel like, <coughs> excuse me, that it's cheating a little, but... Is it fair to, um, like, as a player, you know what your dungeon master is going to run for you? And you like, probably know your... there's a
2: vampire. Right.
1: So, like, <laughs> I, can you just, like, how how do I best build a character for going into this adventure? Is that fair or is that cheating to, to build I think your character based I think it's
2: that? fair going into Curse of Straw to build your character with the end game in mind that you're going to be fighting undead. And and prepare accordingly. I mean, you're basically rel- you're basically doing the D and D version of Dracula, right? And if you're playing a you know a Van Helsing vampire hunter, that's okay. The story expects that to be represented. Um, I think that you want to have a cleric in the party. That's not being meta. That's just being. Right. That's just living up to the expectations of what a D and D adventure with a vampire requires. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: If you don't have a if you don't have a cleric who can heal or turn undead, then you're just you're kind of going into this adventure like like idiots. Like you're, you you're well asking playing, for it. You might as well be playing the Goonies at that point. You're just gonna
1: which would be very fun.
2: Yeah, I could see I could see a DM with a lot of work taking sort of the essence of Persis and having it be more like a Scooby Doo or Goonie style of experience where it's a, it's a little bit more player friendly. Like, maybe you don't have to slay the vampire. You can just like
1: unmask him.
2: Yeah. Or, or, or do the thing like put the, put the sacred relic on his coffin so that he's like banished to his coffin and can't get out, you know, things like that.
0: That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, of um,
0: uh, different characters and NPCs uh in here as, as there is in every adventure but a lot of them uh I think are pretty evocative uh what what are I mean uh I might be just softballing this to you but I know Blinsky's toys uh is a is a soft spot for your for in your heart.
2: Yeah, so um in the original Ravenloft there weren't a lot there wasn't a lot of space to flesh out characters so there was like Irina the woman that Strahd was tormenting there was um, a character named Leif who was Strahd's accountant, this tortured man living in the castle with this vampire. And then there was this um, um, this sort of Igor-like creature. In creating Curse of Strahd, we wanted to expand the number of characters in Barovia dramatically. Blinsky was a really good one. That Blinsky was born out of our meeting... Uh, uh, during a meeting when Tracy was actually on site with us in a brainstorm room. And we were just coming up with ideas to expand upon the adventure. And I don't remember who proposed it, but it was obvious one of the tropes of horror is the, is the toy maker or the the toys that come alive, you know, marionettes that talk and living mm-hmm. dolls and, you know, Chucky and all these uh, things. They come up in horror movies all the time. And so we, we like the idea of having a toy maker figure somewhere into the story. And it was during the brainstorm session when we we're actually fleshing out the name of the toy maker. And it was Tracy who hit upon the name Blinsky. And it was myself who uh, came up with the catchphrase is no fun is no Blinsky. And I, I knew I had it right when Tracy just is laughing his ass off uh, in the meeting uh, when I said it because um, uh, we were talking about the idea that this catchphrase would keep coming up in the adventure, like you'd find toys scattered around that children would leave behind or would just be lying on the floor somewhere. And you'd always be able to identify it's a Blinsky toy by this little sewn in tag, which says, is no fun, is no Blinsky. Oh, my um, God. That's adorable. And then uh, only, only when I started writing the adventure did we start to, did I start to really sort of flesh out the character and give him this little monkey and a ballerina tutu companion named Piccolo. Uh, who basically is his his only friend. Um, yeah, I felt that Blinsky needed something to bounce off of in his shop. Totally. And having this little monkey cavorting around the shop seemed like a really good fit. And I've always been fond of sort of um, hurdy-gritty monkeys. Yeah. You know, I figured the story could use one.
0: And those are creepy too. I mean, the 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 whole evil monkey has a is a trope
2: unto itself. Yeah, the whole clapping symbol monkey. Yeah. keeps. You know, I mean, that, every, that the Wizard of Oz
1: kind of ruined monkeys for me. Mm. So I Flying just think, yeah, yeah, they are kind of yeah. evil anyway. I know.
0: Even us talking about it in this way, I keep seeing Shelley be like, "Ooh, ooh, creepy toys."
1: <laughs> I know. Well, you brought me back to Poltergeist again. Remember when he hooked <laughs> under the bed and? Yeah. Ugh,
2: uh, uh, uh. yeah. But obviously, in Curse of Strahd, we got to we got to sort of range a little bit beyond the vampire motif, um, and really get into some of the other Gothic tropes. Like there is a there's a part of the story that has a very bright, of Frankenstein feel to it, for instance. Mm. Um, there's another part of the story that's very much like a the haunted crumbling mansion. The haunt, you know. Um, there's the there's the haunted wizard's tower. There's the werewolf stuff worked into the story that wasn't emphasized before so we we pretty much we tried to plumb the depths of gothic horror tropes and insert those into barovia where appropriate uh, so that we're sort of covering the full universal monster spectrum in a way yeah for sure yeah it
0: does feel like it is uh old-timey horror, you know? It's like that idea of, like, the the way that horror used to be portrayed it still has, you know, the same kind of things that makes us, our, our skin crawl, but it, dev, it does have that, you know, backwards-looking kind of feel to it, which I
2: think makes it even creepier somehow, mm-hmm. that history. Yeah. It, it, it feels like you're stepping back in time, um, and I think that's important. Um, it, it takes you back to a more sort of gothic-slash-Victorian period, which you know you just you you just understand on some level that people people were less equipped to deal with that kind of thing back then and so there is this sort of romanticism that kind of surrounds that period of time and the 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 fact that um you the 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 monsters feel a little bit more primal mm. uh, they feel uh, a little bit, a little bit more tethered to humanity because you know vampires and werewolves are reflections of humanity. They're sort of the embodiments of the worst traits of humankind. You know, the 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 the, the savage uh, creature that lives inside of us, or the the suave, deceitful, blood-drinking. Um, uh, Figure who sort of embodies um, sexuality uh, in a dark way. Um, those they're all just mere reflections of what the worst aspects of humanity are. Mm-hmm. I think when you get to more modern horror, you start to divert you start to get away from humanity. you start to talk about things that are extraterrestrial or mm-hmm. human or lovecraftian, you know and they don't they they're not meant to be mirrors that we hold up to see the worst inside ourselves. There's something extra. There's something external.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that really comes comes through. And even just in you describing that, it, the, the the monsters you're describing used to be human. They were
2: human at one point, and then they become more perverted, yes. a, a,
0: a, you know, uh, exaggerated
2: versions of exactly. dark parts of our Exactly. Our psyche. Mm-hmm. And that came up. That came up a lot in my conversations with Tracy, and that was very important um, to to Tracy and Laura to sort of preserve that element, as well as this idea that everything in Barovia is basically um, suffering as a consequence of Strahd's deeds or actions. So there's nothing in Curse of Strahd that doesn't tie directly back to Strahd, that you can't say, this is the way it is because Strahd did this, Mm. or Strahd did that. Um, There there were ideas that we put out there originally that we brainstormed that we could not tie to Strahd very clearly, and so we abandoned them. And that, I think, also has given the adventure a lot of strength because everything points back to the same source. In a way, all the things that you see are reflecting Strahd's evil. Um, The only only one who can't see... It's it's ironic that that, that Strahd is the only one who can't see himself. He cannot see the evil that he is, and that's his problem. Because um, vampires do not see their own reflection, so they cannot look at themselves.
0: Fascinating. So he—he, he, yeah. I mean, like every good villain, he thinks he's just doing what what, what he needs to do in order yeah. to and survive. He, is incapable, he survive. is incapable
2: of change. He's incapable of it because he can't see himself.
0: He can only be destroyed. Yeah. So here's an idea. We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the the qualities of horror as well as the tropes uh, in modern horror. Um, One thing that comes to mind is that sequels are a much bigger part of the modern cinematic landscape of horror films. Uh, To an extent,
2: although, you know, um, there are some standout sequels within the horror genre that date back quite far. Um, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein being a good example.
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, So I'm imagining a scenario where uh, a group of friends got together and played Curse of Strahd when this came out in 2016. They're excited about revisiting uh, it with the Curse of Strahd revamped. What w- advice would you give to a dungeon master who doesn't want to just run the adventure again with new characters, but wants to revisit and perhaps reconnect some of the things that happened in the first campaign as a, mm. as a kind of sequel campaign using uh, this box? Uh, what, what That's are- a really
2: interesting idea. I think it all depends on... Um, what the DM is, uh, what sort of stakes the DM is willing to put in the ground, if it's like <laughs> as, as far as um, like, is this going to be a continuation of some previous experience? Like, if you're running this adventure for a, a group of players who've been through it already, the first thing I would ask is, you know, what happened at the end the first time they went through the adventure? If Strahd was destroyed, for instance, the question becomes, okay. You have a choice now. Do you want to bring him back and and contrive a means by which that could happen? For instance, there could be a cult to Strahd that is sort of gathering up his ashes or his you know pieces or whatever and performing a ritual that will cause him to reform. Um, you know, some ancient sect has come to Barovia to see that that happens, and maybe the heroes are tipped off and they have to go back into Barovia to prevent Strahd from reforming. And so suddenly you've got a, you've got the same set pieces. But now the impetus has changed. Strahd is not an is not an existing threat. He is a potential returning threat. And what that means, so it's like a, a ticking clock. You've got to stop the you've got to stop these cultists who have taken over Castle Ravenloft and are planning planning to bring the master back from death. That's what's one way you could go. You can also go the idea of another creature filling the power vacuum. And this is a conversation I had with Jeremy Crawford, my colleague. Um, one of the ways that he sort of um, put, the, put a new light or new spin on the adventure was um, he took uh, the character of Patrina, who is one of the vampire's brides in the catacombs who currently exists as a ghost and had her basically step in as the new sort of lord of Castle Ravenloft uh, once Strahd fell. And so she's sort of gathering, consolidating her power um, because it was always her destiny to rule at Strahd's side. Mm, That's That's the So that's another fun take, is you could basically do a ghost story version Mm -hmm. of of Curse of Strahd, where Petrina is like possessing creatures instead of just sort of descending upon them like bats and things. Uh, So, and that's just using toys that already exist within Curse of Strahd. And I think that's the key, is finding something else to latch onto that you can then sort of elevate up. And say this is going to be the driving force of the story in Strahd's absence if he's not there, or you know, if if Strahd is partnering with some other creature, what that would be. There's the whole element um, in Curse of Strahd of this angelic being, the abbot, who has created a golem bride for Strahd. Well, what happens if they actually get together? What if what if one of the goals of the adventure is you have to stop the wedding? Because if Strahd marries this golem-like bride, maybe something terrible will happen. You know, some some prophecy will be fulfilled and and cause Barovia to fade into the real world again, where it will suddenly become this terrifying force of evil. You know, there's all kinds of stuff to play with. I think there.
0: That's uh, that is fun. What a cool list! Right? Yeah.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, so I'm hoping that inspires a lot of people to jump in uh, and uh, see what is possible with Curse of Strand revamped. uh, It comes out October 20th, so by the time you listen to this, it might actually be available in your local game store, so go check it out if you haven't already. Um, And I I can't wait. I mean, I I feel like there's so much... Here and we're in the throes of Halloween anyway, so yes. why not uh, take it for a spin as a one shot and some of the ideas that Chris mentioned, or uh, you know, hope, hopefully get inspired to to run another campaign. Um, anything oh. else on Curse of Strahd v. Vamped? Uh, oh, there's gotta
2: love the title, right?
1: I do indeed.
2: i spent some time. Uh, I, know, the back cover- I wrote the back cover copy. You can bury yourself in gothic horror.
1: Oh, there were so many puns, so many. Yeah, I'm just showing the box because I think it's important again to show the sheer size of this.
0: It's box. bigger than
2: a bread box. Yes, definitely well,
1: bigger than a bread box. It's it's huge. Yeah, and it's heavy. So
2: it's it's got some heft to it. it that's for sure. Games, for very sure. durable. Well, very
1: durable. Great on your shelf. Let me tell you.
2: Nice.
0: Bury it underground and find it in uh, twenty years.
2: <laughs> you know that Old would have been captain. that would have been a great marketing uh, thing where we actually buried some boxes like around the globe and given people clues to find them.
1: I would have, but we're not allowed to go anywhere.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> true. True. We would have set this up and then COVID would have descended upon us and ruined it. That was
1: totally my plan. I but I have I have a few buried around West Seattle, so keep an eye out. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> we'll be we'll be giving out clues. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: little geocaching first yeah. round.
0: you already yeah. mentioned alki maybe it's down there next oh, to where you're doing your taroka uh-huh.
1: <laughs> my readings
0: i like it yeah. i like that we're like <laughs> 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 convincing people there's an arg happening when there is <laughs>
1: little, a little my little side hustle you don't know you don't yeah. know
0: now we have to do it we backdoored <laughs> ourselves
1: into doing it <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, that's awesome find, uh, find Greg and I. I I can't wait thank Chris for, for taking the time to talk to us about all this as well as uh, delving into fun lore around uh, vampires and, and Ravenloft uh, there's a lot there to get into so uh, yeah. I can't wait yeah. Yeah.
1: can't wait to talk to you about your next project
0: bum, bum, bum. which one? there's so many Taroga
1: deck. <laughs> so many <Yeah. laughs> pick one we'll see we'll let the Taroga deck decide yeah.
2: Yeah, great. But if Curse of Strad does well, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll do this kind of thing again. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Tyranny
0: of Dragons revamped. Wait, well we already kind of did that with the uh with the, the combination. We did. we did. But maybe there's something out there. So yeah.
1: Demons. Bring me demons. More
0: demon weddings.
1: More weddings. <laughs> Z- <laughs> Zuggy. <laughs>
0: awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Absolutely.
1: Thanks, Chris. Yeah, this is fun. As always.
0: Oh my goodness! I mean, so much fun horror discussions uh, about how to run Curse of Strahd, either as a one shot or just jumping back into the campaign. I especially like that sequel idea.
1: I was gonna say that was, first of all, great idea, Greg. But he had such wonderful suggestions. How fun! How fun! I love it.
0: I like it, too. Uh, and there is something about this episodic nature of uh, coming back to it each time during this this period of year. So, you know, people can take this Kirstenstrand revamped and, you know, maybe run one or two sessions uh, during October each, you know, each year and co- mm-hmm. go back to it with your, with your group again and again. I like that idea, too, that, you know, each time you send out those postcards again, be like, it's time to yep. come back to Barovia. Oh, that's
1: right, because, yeah, of course, if you were true adventurers... You would want to keep going back. That's right.
0: And defeating the evil that is strawed.
1: Yes. Count. So, so many Strahd ways you
0: can it. Uh, so, if you are excited about Curse of Strahd Revamped as much as we are, again, it's October 20th when you can go receive it. It will be at your local game store. Uh, but you can also order it at various places on the line. Yep. And uh, start playing. And we'd love to see more fun stuff. We've got a lot of interesting uh, sessions of that coming up. You might be able to check out. I don't have any s- exact details I can tell you right now, but there will be um, some folks playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, in the Cursive Strahd style that you might know and love. Right? Yes. Coming You're up.
1: Really? We'll I not we'll Know all about that. I so can't wait.
0: the way to find out is to follow us on Twitter or on Facebook or on the Instagram. That's Wizards underscore D N D. On most of those platforms. And if you want to get in touch with myself, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter as well as Greg underscore Tito on Instagram and Shelly Moo.
1: Mm hmm. I'm Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. And I can probably do some Taroka readings over Twitter if Ooh, you want to get your cards read.
0: I know. I remember we did Hope that. That Twitter bot promotion back when the Cursor Stride came out, which I really enjoyed.
1: That was that long ago, because I know. it honestly it feels like last year.
0: Yes, it was. Oh, it was 2016, that's so a long cool. time ago. Uh, so that's fantastic. And of course, Dragon Plus is a great way to get all of your information about Dungeons and Dragons, some previews, interviews, uh, lots of great content, including maps, uh, maybe even a short story written by one of us. <gasps> Enough Not issue. me.
1: So who does that leave? I know it's me. I can't Yeah, it. you. By you guys have to get if you haven't already st- started reading Dragon Plus or downloaded it to your device or visited it online. You have to for this issue because Greg has a story in it.
0: I'm very excited. And
1: then you have to write to him and tell him how great he is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everything except for that part. Is, part of the deal. What you should do. Uh, no, tell me how I need to improve my writing. Uh, with uh, I don't know, lots of drinking of wine, perhaps. Was that's was Bart a
1: good editor for you? He was
0: a great editor. He was fantastic. Bart Carroll did a great job, and I uh, shout out to uh, all of the great suggestions he had. Oh, good. Yeah, he had some some really great ideas for who the murderer might be, uh, which I got to include as a. That's ridiculous. That would never happen. <laughs> nice in the story itself. So that's super fun. I got to call out the editor, which is always great to do.
1: Editors love that.
0: Excellent. Uh, So if uh, you would like to pay attention to all that stuff, of course, it's available. If you don't want to download Dragon Plus onto your Android phone or iOS device, you can get it at dragonmag.com. All the content on there, many of the back issues, uh, including ones from 2016 when we first were talking about Curse of Strahd, and so uh, check those out if you're interested. Lots of great content there, including, I think, the first adventure, the uh, the Bone... the Windmill Death House. That's what it was called. I think it was actually included in Dragon Plus uh, in its entirety. So you can wow. jump in there and get that for free right now. I also want to lay, make sure everyone knows that it is time for Drunky Two-Shoes and what she is
1: going to do next. Well, Sounds like she's falling in love
0: she is she has a very uh strong muscular sailor bare-chested who had just brought her on board uh their little smuggling ship you see small uh you see crates uh full of weapons uh and a uh you know a sail and a uh short man uh comes over and says why did, why did you bring this to maxi on board to which Drunkie just meows, Uh and the sailor who had brought her on board said, uh, "I don't know. She was drowning. I thought I didn't want there to be witnesses of what's happening here. Maybe we can convince her to be on our side.
1: On our side. <laughs> <laughs> Are you only going to meow now, back and forth? I'm trying to. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> what? What? I I am indebted to you because you saved my life. That's Thank right. You. Yes. I
0: did. Yes. And you're not gonna
1: rat us out, right? I don't even know what I'd be ratting out. But rats, where? I love rats. Let me get the rats. I'm a cat, remember?
0: Uh the short ah. man says, Clearly she's uh she's she's not right in the head. <laughs> Just throw her back into the water.
1: Uh. And
0: uh uh he's he's you know kind of coming out of you with like a little little knife. Okay.
1: Well, Drunky has a short temper, so she pounces on him and tries to stab him in the face.
0: Roll me your attack.
1: I forgot to open my character sheet.
0: That's okay. Just roll it. Just roll it. If it's high, we'll we'll say you hit it. Three. A three.
1: That's right.
0: Man, whenever it counts. Uh, so, yeah, right. you try to pounce on uh, this, this little man, and uh, you kind of bounce off of him and uh-huh. hit... Uh, the uh crate or no, a barrel full of what looks like p- poorly made uh swords and daggers, and they fall over and clatter to the ground. And all of a sudden, all of these uh, blades are <laughs> all on the deck. Uh, and the little man says, Ah, get, get
1: her out of here. I'm gonna grab one of them, all right, one of the swords. But,
0: we'll the pick blade. it back up there uh, next week uh, on the ongoing adventures of Drunky Two Shoes.
1: Meow, meow. <laughs> I'm <laughs> a <laughs>